Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. Reflecting on the video that Ronnie showed us earlier takes you back. I was driving across the James River Bridge headed to Richmond for a church planner network meeting 20 years ago. I had seen and was alarmed that the first plane had hit the tower. Didn't know what to do. Felt a responsibility to be in Richmond and started that way, got across the bridge and just as I was getting across the bridge, I heard the second plane had crashed. I pulled into Huntington Park and sat there and prayed and made a few phone calls and turned around and headed back home. That was a tough day. Tough day that changed the lives of a lot of people, radically changed, altered their lives. For many, yesterday was a depressing day, day of memories. There's an old expression that you probably heard as you were growing up, a statement that talks about depression. You probably heard the old timers say something like this, I feel lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. Wayne Redmond, I've heard him say that many times. That's about as low as you can get. Pretty low. You ever felt that way? I'm sure you have. If you haven't, you will. If you have, you're in good company. The psalmist who wrote Psalms 42 felt that way for some reason or another. There are many reasons why people can be de depressed you're going to see in this psalm that we're going to look at this morning that the author talked frankly about his despair, his depression, his discouragement that occurred when he was unable to get together with the people of God and worship. He felt so distant from God and from those people that he loved, and, and it was breaking his heart. The, the psalmist begins by making a statement concerning his deep desire for God. Psalm 42, verse 1. Look at what he writes. As a deer pants for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. In the very same way that a deer would search for life-sustaining, thirst-quenching refreshment as a worshiper of God, this psalmist, he panted for an encounter with the God whom he loved and whom he knew who sustained his life. He says in verse 2, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and stand before him? He wanted so much to be in the presence of God and spend some time worshiping the God he knew. And, and he was thirsty for that kind of fellowship with God, but he had a problem. He had a problem. You see, as much as he wanted to be in the presence of God, he was still thirsty. You see, his want to was in the right place. But he, was, uh, he just couldn't get there from where he was. He was struggling. His desire was in the right place, but he still felt disillusioned by his apparent distance from God. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? Because the psalmist seemed so far from God. He lost his appetite. He had no appetite for food. He didn't have a taste for food. 
He didn't feel like eating things when he needed to be able to eat. Instead, his tears became his only food. And trust me, there's not a whole lot of nourishment in tears. As you can imagine, he was so overwhelmed by his inability to find God that it was affecting his health. He wasn't eating when he should have been eating. And so he's losing weight. He's even, he looks deflated and, and distraught. And, and because of his diminishing appearance, he, his enemies continually taunt him. And look at what they say again. So where is this God of yours? Have you ever felt like God has taken a long distance trip and didn't tell you when he's going to return? Truth is, I think we've all felt that way from time to time. Sometimes we do. Some of you are feeling that way right now. And if you don't feel that way today and you haven't felt that way in the past, sooner or later you will. It's a, 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 a it's inevitable. It, it's going to happen. The psalmist says twice that his enemies are asking him this taunting question. Where is this God of yours? They are doubtfully suspicious that God even existed. And to be honest, the psalmist wasn't sure either. Maybe you're not sure. Everybody has a different moment, a different situation that you're going through. And in your moment, where is this God of yours? You know, I'd like to suggest a couple possible answers to that question. Where is this God of yours? Here's the first one. I'd like to suggest to you that God's right where you left him. He's right where you left him. He hasn't moved. He never does. He's always where you left him. Look at verse 4 of Psalms 42 with me. Listen to the heart of this psalmist. He said, my heart is breaking. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. Do you remember how it used to be? He said, I walked among the crowds of worshipers. Walked is a word in the past tense. I walked at one time among the crowds of worshipers. But not only did he walk in that crowd... He said, I was leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks. It was the sound of a great celebration. As you can see, he's no longer attending worship with the people of God for whatever reason. He's not in that crowd anymore. But notice he's the one who's wandered away from God. God hasn't left him. Christian, do you remember what Jesus said to you? It's, it's clearly in Scripture. It's written in red. Any, anytime you see something written in red, it's the Lord's words to you. Jesus promised, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you always. That's a promise you can count on. God never breaks His promise. He never lies. He never leaves us. But unfortunately, too often, we tend to wander away from God. Isaiah the prophet said this, and he includes himself in this when he says it. He said, all of us have strayed away like sheep. We have all left God's path to follow our own. All of us, at some time or another, drift away from God. So, so yes, God is wherever you left him. And the beautiful thing is that he's waiting for you to return. He's waiting. So there's another possible answer. Christian, God is living inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit and you probably don't know very much about Him. God is living inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit 
And you probably don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. You need to know him. Now, I've given you that, but I want you to hold on to that statement for a little while. I, I promise to come back and unpack that later on in my message. But I just wanted to give you something to hold on to for a minute. For now, I want us to explore another question. What is a person supposed to do when God seems like he's a million miles away? What do you do? What do you do? I want to give you three answers. Here's the first one. I I think you can and should draw from your past experiences that you've had with God. Go back and think about those past encounters that you've had with God. For all of us, there's going to be some dark days in our life. You can't get around that. That's part of living in this world, this fallen world that we live in. And sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to find God. You can't seem to see God working around you or in you. That's why it's so important to recognize and keep track of the times when God has come through for you. That's why it's important to be able to journal God's answers to your prayers. To make notes in your Bible of how God has spoken to you in the midst of your storms. To hide those memories that you have of God in your heart and in your mind. Tony Evans writes, it's important to have a history with God. A history of God. Do you you have a history with God? He says it's important to have a history with God so that during the bad times you can remember the good times to help you persevere through the trouble that you're in on that particular day. So when the storms come, when they rage, you need to open up that journal or open up that Bible and look at what God has done for you and said to you in the past so that it can help you in the present. And when you do, you need to praise God. Think about this. If God has helped you in the past, can he not help you in the present and in the future? Amen? He can. He can. A second thing you need to think about is how you should always remind yourself of the real truth. We live in a world that loves lies. And there's a lot of lies floating out there. I've said many times, there's a truth out there if you can get to it and find it. It's there and it's real. Here's the real truth. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. He's always faithful. Listen to what the psalmist said. Oh, Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be put to shame. Rescue me, for you always do what is right. Bend down and listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be for me a rock, a great rock of safety, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this peril. Pull me up from the trap of my enemies that they've set for me. For I find protection in you alone. He says, I entrust my spirit, my soul into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. Can I be honest? You always have the possibility of letting people down. We'd like to think that we always do everything right, but we sometimes let people down. And guess what? People let us down, right? It's on both sides of the fence. Why? Because we're a flawed people living in a fallen world. We don't always do what we intend to do. Sometimes we fall short of that. Our intentions are good, but we don't deliver the package. 
But guess what? God never lets you down. He's always faithful. He's always faithful. He'll always be there for you. The psalmist said in Psalms 20, verse 6, Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He answers Him from His holy heaven with the saving power of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we we rise up and stand. Why? Because God is faithful. We don't stand in our own strength. We stand in the strength of the Lord. If you want to stand, that's the way you need to stand. Because He has the power that you need. Another thought, in spite of what you may be going through right now, you can put your hope and trust in God. You can. God is faithful and worth hoping for. You can trust God when you can't trust anybody else. You can put your hope in God, and you should put your hope in God. For you to hope in God is to expectantly wait for God to act on your behalf or on behalf of the people that you're praying for. It's just being conscious that He's coming and that He's helping. I, as I say that to you, I, I, I'm reminded of the testimony of, of Bart Millard. Some of you know that name. He is the lead singer for Mercy Me. Bart is an amazing singer who has blessed millions and millions and millions of people with the songs that he sings. God has used Bart to be an amazing blessing. But guys, listen, Bart is just like you and me. He gets up every day and puts his pants on just like we do. He, he has good days and he has bad days. He's not immune from the, the life troubles of this world. If you know anything about Bart, you know that he often talks about a day in his life when he was really having a bad day, a day that the day that he wrote the song, Even If. He talks about how his oldest son was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes when he was two years old and how to date his son has had 37,000 plus shots. I don't know about y'all, but I hate needles. I get a couple every three months. He, he's 37,000. And he talks about how he and his wife Shannon have prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God to heal their son, but God has chosen not to heal him. And yet, even though that is true, they have not lost their hope in God. He penned this song, even if, on a bad day. Listen to what he wrote. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now, I'm losing bad. I've stood on this stage night after night reminding the broken, it's, it'll be all right. But right now, oh, right now, I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say? When I'm held to the flame like I am right now. I know you're able and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing. A little faith is all I have right now. 
But God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be able to sing, it is well with my soul. I know that you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. He writes, I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you would just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. You've been faithful and you've been good all of my days. Jesus, I cling to you. Come what may, cause I know you're able, I know you can. I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you would just say the word. But even if you don't, you are my hope and my hope alone. It is well with my soul, he writes. It is well. It is well with my soul. Listen, just because you can't see God working doesn't mean he's inactive. It doesn't mean that God's gone on a vacation. It doesn't mean that God does not exist. In fact, my friend, God is working for you. I believe the psalmist knew that with all his heart, but he's in and out. He's fluctuating the psalmist quickly switches back to a feeling of distress. He, he says, look at verse 5. Why am I discouraged? Why so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember your kindness from Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mazar. I hear the torment of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. Through each day, the Lord pours out his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his song, praising God who gives me life. Do you see the spiritual roller coaster that he's on? One minute he's up and the next minute he's down. He's fluctuating between songs and sobs, between hope and despair and confidence and collapse and fear and faith. He's very much like a child frightened in the night by a thunderstorm. And he longs for his father's presence, not to stop the thunder and not to stop the lightning, but just to simply remind him that he's not alone. Look at verse 9. The psalmist said, O God, my rock. I cry, why have you forsaken me? Why must I wander in darkness oppressed by my enemies? The truth here is this. God had not forsaken the psalmist. But honestly, there are times in our life when we all think that God has forsaken us. We feel that way. Times when we just can't seem to find God. Times when he's nowhere to be found. Times when he can't be found as we pray and we cry out to him. It's in those times, honestly. And I, I had one of those this week. It's not often that God keeps me up all night. I tried to sleep, but I was in and out of sleep. Don't think I slept very much. But when I was awake, I tried to pray. I tried to remember the goodness of God. God. 
And I thought of this verse. This is a beautiful verse. If you don't know Romans 8.28 by memory, you need to memorize it. It is a powerful verse. It is an encouraging verse. It's a promise. It's a wonderful verse for you to know and to hang on to. It is a verse that reminds us of just how faithful God is. Look at what Paul writes. And we know that God, circle that, circle God, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose for them. I want you to pay very close attention to the fact that Paul doesn't say that God causes all things to be good in a Christian's life. No, that's not what he says, is it? Instead, he says that God causes everything, the good and the bad, the easy and the hard, to work for our good. In other words, God is working everything for our eternal good. Years ago, I had a man give me a vintage 1932 Harley-Davidson 45. Some of you know what that would have been. Some of you know what that is. It was a rare treasure, but there was a problem. It came in three cardboard boxes. (laughs) It was all torn apart. And and the pieces were just piled on top of each other. There were several boxes. And I, listen, I I had no idea how to put that motorcycle back together. And back then, you didn't have Google or YouTube or any of that. And I I didn't have a a, a manual that would tell me how to put it back together. And, And not to mention that in those boxes was an assortment of other parts, things that came from lawnmowers and outboard motors and God only knows what other things that they came from. You know, it was just a pile of stuff. It was a mess that could have been a real treasure if I could have put all those pieces back together. So many times that is the way our life is. A mess of pieces that need to be put back together. That that may be your life right now. Right now, all the pieces of your life may seem to be an unrelated mess that has no purpose. But you want to know what? Based on Romans 8, 28, God is up to something in your life. I love that. You might not be able to see him working, Christian, but he's busy conforming you and shaping you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful promise. Look again at verse 28, Romans 8, 28. Look at what Paul wrote. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good, the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew, he knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And he gave them right standing with himself. He made us right with himself. And he promised them, you and me, his glory. What a beautiful promise. The psalmist goes on in verse 10 to say, Their taunts pierce me like a fatal wound. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. To be honest, there are many times that your situation will not change in life. Hear me. 
There are times that no matter how much you pray, your situation is not going to change in life. And sometimes it even gets worse. But the psalmist expressed, no matter what, no matter what, you've seen those signs around town, no matter what, trust God. No matter what, continue to put your hope in God. No matter how dark and stormy it gets, keep pursuing God. He is faithful and he's busy working out the good for you. This is temporary, folks. We all like to think that this is it. This is temporary. I said that the other day at Don Smutney's funeral. You know, he's in a better place. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'd love to be in heaven today. It's the, the getting there that's a problem. I don't want to die. Now, if Jesus wants to come back and take us all today, I'll go. Right? You're with me in that. Yeah. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalms 30, verse 4. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones, and praise his holy name. His anger lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may go on all night, but joy, joy comes with the morning. You ever stop to consider what the disciples felt like as they stood there and watched Jesus ascend into the heavens and disappear? You ever thought what they were thinking? Look at what Luke says in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And as I read this, I, I, I just say this. They, they probably felt lower than a snake's belly in a wagon's rut. You know, it was tough. Look at what Luke wrote. He said, it was not long after Jesus said this, that Jesus was taken up into heaven while they were watching and he disappeared into a cloud as they were straining their eyes to see him, two white-robed men, obviously angels, suddenly stood there among them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, and someday, someday, just as you saw him go, he will return. They were obviously straining so as not to lose sight of Jesus. They heard what the angels said, but I imagine that they were already beginning to be lonely for Jesus. When Jesus ascended through those clouds, in their minds they must have thought, Oh, he is far more than a million miles away. Would they ever see Jesus again? The angels said they would. But so much was riding on what Jesus had already said to them before he left. So what did Jesus say? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. But as I said before, when you feel distant from God, understand that <laughs> you most likely will find God right where you left him. I don't know about you, but in my past, it is those moments when I've allowed sin to enter into my life that my fellowship with God has been hindered. And one of the verses that has been so important to me through my Christian walk has been 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess, you know what that does? That cleans us up so that we can have fellowship with God again. It cleans us up so that we can come into the presence of God again. You can't do that with unconfessed sin on your soul. If you want to come back into a right relationship with God, you've got to confess and get it right and be forgiven and restored. Hmm. 
I also said that you will sometimes find, if you're a Christian, it's important that you understand that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, even though you may not know a whole lot about who He is and what He does. Listen, I, I encourage you not to beat yourself up if you have little knowledge of the Holy Spirit. It, listen, it really doesn't matter what you didn't know yesterday, but what matters is what you learn today and then what you do with that knowledge tomorrow. Amen? The Lord's disciples walked with Jesus for three years, and they knew little to nothing about what the Holy Spirit was or who He was or what His work was. And, and I've said this, and you've heard it before. You just don't know what you don't know. But that can change, Right? And it will change. It's going to change for some of you today. You're going to learn some things about the Holy Spirit. Some of you are going to say, well, I already knew that. But some of you are going to say, I, I never heard that before. When you read Acts chapter 1, you find that the account of Jesus teaching his disciples about two very important truths concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit. These, these are foundational truths. These things, when they were taught to the disciples, they, they transformed their lives. And they were never the same Again, again, Tony Evans said few people would disagree that the greatest church in history was the first church, the, the church at Jerusalem in the early chapter of Acts. He said this church was on fire, possessed by the Holy Spirit, exploding on the scene on the day of Pentecost. So I want us to look at these two spiritual truths that Jesus taught his disciples concerning the Holy Spirit. And, and I say that they're just as real and relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago. So what did Jesus say to them? What is he saying to us today? He said this, when I leave you, when I leave you, you will all receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now we're Baptists. When we mention the Holy Spirit, most of us run. But we shouldn't. We should embrace him. Why? Because look at what Jesus said in John 16. Verse 5, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me, Jesus said, and none of you has asked, where am I going? Instead, you're very sad, but it's actually best for you that I go away because if I don't, the counselor won't come. If I do go away, he will come because I will send him to you. Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Luke records that one day when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them these words. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised his followers that they would all be baptized with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come to dwell in them. In John 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will never, never, never leave you. Did y'all get that? Did I embellish that enough? Never leave you. He doesn't come on a yo-yo. He doesn't come and go and come and go and come and go. When he comes and he moves in, he stays. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you do because he lives with you now. But later, 
later, he's going to live in you. Amen. He didn't just live on us. He lives in us. Romans 8, 9. Paul writes, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ, again, the Holy Spirit living in them, they are not Christians at all. So what does that tell me? It tells me that every Christian has the Holy Spirit living in them. When does he come? The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. That is when you're baptized into the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up only one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Now some of you, some of us are Jews. And some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. Don't miss what he says here. But we have all been baptized into Christ's body by what? One Spirit. And we have all received the same Spirit, the the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. So listen, not only do we receive the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, but Jesus makes another statement. He said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be empowered to be witnesses of mine throughout the world. Look at verse 8. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, if you're a Christian, he's done that. And he's moved in. He said at that point, you will receive power and you will tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria And to the ends of the earth. If you study that passage, you'll find that one thing we know for sure. We know that every believer who received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost became what? Witnesses. Witnesses. That's right. And miraculously, they told the story of Jesus in all the different languages of the people gathered there in Jerusalem. Let let me just read this for you. It's not in your notes. It's not on 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 the screen. Acts chapter 2, verse 7. It says they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and, and area, the areas of Libya, Around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And he just goes on and on and on. God gave them the ability to speak. And these people from all these different lands heard the gospel in their native tongue. And he goes on to say, and Peter preached boldly the good news that Jesus saves. And 3,000 lost souls gave their hearts and lives to Jesus, not because of some amazing, wonderful evangelistic program, but simply because God's people became overwhelmed and even possessed by the Holy Spirit who empowered them. You know, to be truthful, we, they just simply got excited about Jesus. They became overpowered and empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, so filled these people that they could not keep their faith in Jesus silent. Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He came to dwell in you, to radically change your life, to empower you to do the work of God, kingdom work, sharing the gospel, and seeing people come to know the Lord. What are you doing with that knowledge? What are you doing? What are you doing with that power? What are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do through you? You know, it's amazing how God puts things together the way that he does. Ronnie and I don't talk about much about what's going to happen on Sunday morning. Honestly, when I sat down there this morning, I didn't know it was Grandparents' Day. I didn't. I've been so busy, I hadn't thought about it. But it caused me to think back to when my grandparents had to move in with my mom and dad. They lived in New Jersey. My grandparents uh, were not in good health, and my parents lived in Florida. My dad, being an only child, took that responsibility, bit the dust, and drove to New Jersey and put my grandparents in the car, and my grandfather cussed him from New Jersey to Florida. He did not want to move. Within three months, my grandfather was in the hospital. He had prostate cancer. He had a leg that needed to be removed. He had all kind of problems, bad heart. My grandmother was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. We didn't really know that for a long time. We did once she got there, and we began to see the pattern. One night, my grandmother wanted to go see her husband, my grandfather, in the hospital, and I said, come on, Granny, let's go. We got in my car, and we started driving to the hospital, and you got to understand, I saw my grandparents about every two or three years. I didn't know a whole lot about them. I didn't know whether my grandparents were Christians or not. And so when we left my parents' driveway and started towards the hospital, we had about nine miles to go. I said, I've got to know. And I began to talk to my grandmother about Jesus. And all the way there, I shared the gospel with Granny. And we pulled up. My grandmother was, was about this tall. I'm serious. She probably never weighed over 95 pounds in her whole life. Little bitty thing. Grandpa was six foot five. <laughs> I have a picture of them in 1930 dating. And she's standing on the running board of, of, of a car. And it looked like that car was that far off the ground. She's standing on the running board, and he's standing there next to her, and she's still looking up at him. She was short. But I began to tell Granny about Jesus. And when we pulled up in the I looked at her, and I said, Grandma, would you like to pray and ask Jesus into your heart? I said, I've been wanting to ask you that question for a long time. And she reached over and she got me by the arm and she said, well, what took you so long? 
And she bowed her head. And I led her through the sinner's prayer. And she prayed and invited Jesus into her heart. And she was saved. The moral of that story is within six months, she didn't hardly know her name. Alzheimer's. When God gives you an opportunity to make a decision for him, you don't, you don't put it off. When God gives you an opportunity to witness to somebody about Jesus, you don't put it off. You have a window of opportunity to do the Lord's work. And when that window decreases, some days it closes. And you've lost that opportunity. What's the Holy Spirit doing in your life? What does he want to do in your life? You have a window of opportunity. I pray that you will not let that close on you. Some of you need to be saved. Some of you need to go and tell other people how to be saved. We all need to be doing the Lord's work because time is growing shorter and shorter every day.